This is the Overclocked Podcast, a weekly dose of video game music and conversation from ocremix.org. This week, we finish our conversation with Rebecca Tripp, have a special solo track about the chiptune music production tool Super Audio Cart, and harmonize beautifully in this week's playlist. So, who's got those MAGFest tickets? Apparently nobody. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 34 of the Overclocked Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kelly, and joining me today is my brother and co-host, Stephen Kelly. Hello, Stephen. Hello, we're the Kelly brothers. That was implied by everything I just said. Ah, oh, shoot, I'm redundant. But yeah, this week, I guess the exciting news is MAGFest stuff went on sale. For people who are not aware of that, MAGFest is the music and games festival that takes place in National Harbor, Maryland? Yeah, it, it it technically is Maryland, but it's also touching 27 other American states. Exactly. Um, which it, we went for the first time last year. OC Remix always has a great presence there. Uh, and it's pretty much the place to go for video game music festivities. If you want to meet other video game music people, see video game music concerts, um, buy video game music merchandise, MAGFest is the place to go. It take, I believe it's January of 2017 is the next one happening. And hotel and ticket stuff started uh, started going on sale just a few days ago. Yes. In fact, it's so popular that the uh, convention center sold out in something like 15 or 20 minutes. You're talking uh, to the hotel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Rooms for the for the hotel. The MAGFest block, at least, which was the discounted rooms at the Gatelord. Well, no one can afford the actual rooms. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> Uh, then the rest of National Harbor sold out about 10 minutes later, and then mm-hmm. the outlying hotel started to sell out as well. So Yeah, and the tickets were having problems. Do we have badges yet? I don't even know what's happening. As of the time of this recording, the entire ticket process is still down. It's been down for almost 24 hours. Just make sure we have badges before we put this up. We don't want other people knowing about it before we get oh, yeah. badges. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> but yeah, we're looking out for you, community. That's the big thing going on this week. Yes. Yeah. It's very exciting, though. Uh, once they get all the stuff sorted out, I, I'm sure it's going to be another good time. It will, it'll mm-hmm. be our second MAGFest. Um, I really am... Uh, hyped to do that i am as well in terms of the show we have finally gotten our stuff on oc remix's youtube channel so if people if you're sick of listening to the entire show here we're going to be posting our interview and any guest segments we have up on mm-hmm. the overclock or the uh, overclock remix that's the oc remix youtube channel so yes. if you're not subscribed to that yet definitely check it out they update all of their remixes there and now i believe on thursdays and uh mondays i forget what exact days but throughout the week we'll be posting stuff from the show as well we're also working Mm -hmm. on thursdays to upload older episodes so we can catch up on all of the previous interviews and segments we've had so if you're a a dedicated youtube red user then this is going to be up your alley yeah if you want to listen to our interviews for a second time for this week's episode we're finishing out the interview with rebecca tripp which uh i still need to listen to last week's i didn't have time when i was editing to listen through it but i always love hearing her stuff it's special yep it's really good and you should stick around for the story at the end uh, my little uh, anecdote about my first time listening to the song because it's uh very amusing and sort of moving too at least it was at the time nice nice and then we're also going to be talking about super audio cart what what is that Stephen? what was this interview you got together well i mean you'll find out in much greater detail uh in no time at all mm-hmm. but super audio cart is by impact sounds works uh one of the founders was actually zircon you might know him as andrew reversa he's an oc remixer too 
Okay. Um, and it's it's basically a sample library for old video game consoles, and it's really really cool. That seems up the uh, what would you say up the alley of the interests of OC Remix. Yeah, it, it's a pretty close Venn diagram there. Yeah, I would. I'm actually very tempted to pick it up and try it out because I haven't. I've done basically no chip tune in the past, mm-hmm. but obviously I have a great familiarity with you know sounds of the Genesis and the SNES and that sort of thing. And having like one easy, even if it's not perfect, perfectly emulated, because I know people can get really in depth about this stuff mm-hmm. having one easy stop plug in with all of that stuff together i can imagine having a lot of fun with something like that yeah uh, and we talked to nabil nabil i'm sorry about it um nice. and he dropped so much information i had to cut out most of our conversation just to fit it into the <laughs> yes i remember meeting him briefly at uh magfest oh, yeah. earlier this year and mm-hmm. he just seemed to be they were talking about super audio cart at that time and he seemed to be a font of information so yeah i didn't realize that was nabil so when i talked to him i'm like good to meet you and he's he's like there we met before i don't want to make this awkward <laughs> yeah that's actually really funny he remembered better than you you should be doing your research probably better yeah. than that but oh well but steven you know what else we have this week we got some remixes. We have the Remix Rewind, where we run down the latest releases from Overclocked Remix. I love Overclocked Remix. I'm a big fan. Let's look at the As further proof that Egypt was built by high-tech aliens, Tamias 222 dusts off the ancient sand-covered book of Vector Man to bring us this historically accurate track, very close to the original aggressively energizing music that those hyper-advanced gods would groove to in the dance halls on their spaceships, as ancient Astro Club theorists believe. Nahageoith is a Chrono Trigger remix by Hyperduck Soundworks that specifically aims at stirring up nostalgia through the use of lo-fi, layered instrumentation. This one isn't about straying from the path of the original tune, it's about showing us that tune through the lens of memory. A grainy, slightly faded home movie of that tune. A little sweeter through age, a little more meaningful because of its frayed edges.
Chrono Cross's famous intro track gets some love as well this week, in Timeless Calamity, by remixer Brandon Strader. The mysterious sounds of the source material's strings and tambourine have been set aside for the raw power of a pounding metal bass and soaring electric guitar in much the same way that you'd set aside a rapier to pick up an AK-47. This isn't the sound of starting a journey. This is the sound of going to war. Sounds made a song called Zognal Comes. This track comes out swinging with both fists, each fist clutching a bag full of yet more swinging fists, and it doesn't let up until it's beaten you with every fighting style it knows and a couple it just invented on the spot. This prog rock pummeling waves the Final Fantasy IX flag with pride and dares you to say something about it.
he's not done there! Also from Sixto Sounds, on Wings of Steel marks OCR's first ever remix from the original Afterburner. If you're going to joyride in an 80s-era fighter jet, you'll need some peppy synth electrics, some kick-ass guitar riffs, and an exciting, inspiring melody. This one brings all of that, plus a pair of sweet Ray-Bans. Instant Remedies R-Type Remix IR-Type could easily be a hit at any modern EDM club. With a beat that's driving but never boring, wisely chosen synth elements, great cooldown timing, and a dash of vocals for good measure, this track just drips with the kind of intense effort and professional skill that makes this stuff seem easy. For these remixes, 
and more, head over to ocremix.org. We're back with part two of our interview with Rebecca Tripp, talking about her Twilight Princess medley. And then we start heading in closer to Hyrule Castle Town. Yes, because we're in Laneru province, so there's actually a precedent for that. So I've introduced a bunch of mandolin into the lake and the Zora. Then I started with the fortune teller, because I thought the fortune teller was... She represented Hyrule Castle Town pretty well, but still had that bit of mystique similar to Bazaar's, and I mean, her, her room's even full of shells and stuff, so there's an aesthetic connection, mm-hmm. although it's sort of one I made up. The, um, <laughs> it's the same kind of percussion. I could I had an excuse to keep using it smoothly, the sort of bongo drums, you know, and yeah, the, yeah. the chimes and everything, and, and then I ease out of her bit and go straight to the castle town, and I started with the back streets of the castle town, because it was a little more low-key, like her place, you know. Her place is sort of a corner somewhere. Uh, so we're going through the alleys of Hyrule, and then we jump into the action and, and go to the town square, and it's all like an Italian uh, marketplace or something. And that's like such a such an interesting reimagining of the original Hyrule market from Ocarina of Time. Yeah, um, definitely. A way that they were able to expand it so there's a lot more to see and a lot more to do, and it wasn't, you know, just a like a static image with a bunch of uh, crazy polygonal uh, people running here and there and making yeah. motions with their hands. And but... that's, that was actually my favorite part in the medley, and, and it was partly because of what you're describing. When I played Ocarina of Time as a child, I, I wanted so badly to see more of that castle town. Mm-hmm. It was so small, almost just like a little, tiny taste of what could be there. Yeah, exactly. So you probably noticed I had the bard singing in the castle yes, town. Yes, I was going to mention that. And I tried to make it sound like he was uh, singing lyrics. I, I used a, a VST that kind of gives the illusion of that. And in my imagination, he was actually singing about Princess Zelda and her beauty. <laughs> no, it totally <laughs> sounds like that. He could just be underneath <laughs> the window with a delicate rose in his hand or something. Exactly. I, I like to think everyone in the town just adores her. I, she seems like the most lovely incarnation uh-huh. of Zelda to me. The, the wisest, probably the oldest, just by a couple years anyway. And Well, and interestingly, you, we had, you know, back in Lake Hylia, it was a complete departure from the, the dusty road. And then we come to the town and relax there for a while and hang out with the guy singing about Zelda. And then it's back to the desert. Yeah, back Qu- to quite the Quite swiftly. Quite <laughs> swiftly and uncompromisingly. Well, that's because you're going there by cannon. Desert I th- was one of the songs um, that stood out to me most when I first played it. It was like so... It was cool. Adventurous and daring and it, you know, it felt like I was, you know, I was Indiana Jones or something heading into some great ancient tomb. Yeah, I can remember that. I, I was just, I was thrilled with that desert. I just ran around for hours as a wolf and uh, I was very delighted to find the bugs there too. I got really into the mm-hmm. bug quest. Yeah, I never finished the whole thing, but I did get a little bit obsessed with it. It was very fun. I I consider Agatha to be a kindred soul. (laughs) (laughs) It was a little difficult to find a place to put it at first. Uh, Where I put it, I think, is where it should be. 
but、mm-hmm. I knew it had to be there because of its significance, holding that prison and and the Twilight Mirror. But Gerudo Desert, it's a、uh, it does link really well with、uh, the Hidden Village theme. Yeah, aesthetically, it does. It has a lot of the same kinds of、um, emotions in it.、Mm-hmm. Uh, that Indiana Jones thing you were talking about.、Um, they both、yeah. actually have a sort of Wild West feeling, although Hidden Village much more so. It actually has a North American、oh, quality to it, or perhaps Central American. Well, the Hidden Village had, you know, they basically went through for a Wild West shootout theme, which caught me off guard, and I thought was sort of hilarious and great. Yeah, I liked the cat quest. <laughs> oh my gosh, I forgot about the cat. <laughs> That was good. That's good. I was very sympathetic、uh, to their quest. Oh no, kidding! You got to help the cats out.、Mm-hmm. Um, they're always watching. So, transitioning from that to Zant's theme, that's sort of an important transition. I feel it's very stark. Although I, I think I, I made it smooth, but yeah, it, it definitely changes pace there.、Mm-hmm. It suddenly gets much darker. Do you have a guess or no? Why I chose to go to Zant after that? I actually can't hazard a guess beyond the mere fact that the Hidden Village has so much to do with the Shika. That's why. Yes. Oh, <laughs> I got it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was hoping. I, I was hoping people would pick up on that, but I wasn't really sure, right? But yeah, the Shika are such a mysterious race in the series. Honestly, I'd love to play a game where you actually get to explore their culture and meet more than one or two of them. Definitely, I've been dreaming about a game where you play as、uh, Sheik and Zelda in different、oh, sequences、yeah. of the game. I'd love、um, that. And all the characters、uh, around you have no idea you're the same person. Another one I'd really like to do: a game where you play as a Gerudo warrior, and, and the entire thing is in this sort of desert aesthetic, but you get to see way more of their whole continent. Or Yeah, that'd be great. And there'd be a bunch of desert dungeons, and there'd be different oases and little ports and whatnot. Totally different look on the Zelda. It'd almost be like the how Wind Waker made everything into an ocean and an island. Everything、mm-hmm. would suddenly become a desert and an oasis instead. Yeah, yeah. And Skyward Sword with the sky. Yeah, quite. Yeah, that'd be great.、Um, speaking of the sky. That's what we got up next with the that, city in the sky.、True. That is true. <laughs> yeah,、uh, city in the sky. After that, I, I thought, well, let's do a dungeon run. I, I haven't done any dungeon themes yet. And after、mm-hmm. Hidden Village, there were only three dungeons left, so I just thought I'd put them all in there because every Zelda medley, I have a little dungeon segment usually. And city in the sky,、uh, I've virtually seen no covers of that.、Uh, there was no MIDI、mm-hmm, of it. I had definitely. To do the whole thing by ear, and that was a pain. Without, <laughs> yeah, that's a real easy one to get just by ears, and <laughs> so I didn't actually honor that completely. I, I instead had a whole host of other noises, you know, the piccolo flute、uh-huh. going, <laughs> you know, up and down, and、right. and on these operatic voices rising and falling, and the harp makes you sound like your your head's spinning. Yeah. <laughs>、uh-huh. 
woo, you know. I, I was trying <laughs> to capture the gravity and the wind and and the vertigo. Um, I tried to take the city in the sky theme toward the Twilight Palace theme because I felt they were by far the two most alien dungeons. And mm-hmm. I, I felt that the floatiness and the, the strange physics of mm-hmm. the city in the sky felt aesthetically similar to the Twilight. Um, the Twilight Palace almost seems like it's existing in the fourth dimension or something like that. It's outside of time. And the way that the hero actually gets there almost reminds me of the time portal in Skyward Sword, which I'm certain they mm-hmm. based slightly on the Twilight Mirror. When you, so that brings us to the exploration of, of, the, of the actual Twilight, which we haven't talked about very much. Um, and for those who remember, um, when they were originally showing off the, the Twilight Zone, if you will, um, in the original trailers, I believe it was much more of a black and white aesthetic. Um, it felt very yeah, it was. monochrome, very stark. And I was surprised in the game where it turned out to be much more of a haze, much more true to Twilight, I suppose. Um, it felt like a dreamlike haze, not necessarily a, you know, um, black and white existence of um, dust and cracks and that sort of thing, um, which I thought was actually ended up suiting the game a whole lot more, not to mention the musical style that accompanied it. Yeah, the music they picked for that, or I guess that was created for that, really captured the feeling of being in between places. Similarly to the Lake Bed Temple, it had this kind of almost suffocating quality, like the air was thick with something. Mm-hmm. This sort of ambience almost breath-like noise in each of them. In the Lake Bed Temple, you had, had that that kind of sound mixed with the actual instruments. In, in Twilight, you had something very similar. Mm-hmm. Background noise with little bits of melody coming in and out. Yeah, it's a very very ethereal, almost piecemeal, um, uh, alone in a strange land kind of theme. The actual chords used in Twilight, just the track called Twilight, is filled with discord. I, d- I don't mm-hmm. know um, if you've ever actually sort of dissected it, but many parts, you're you're playing a bunch of semitones together. Mm-hmm. And because of the instrument they're using, it doesn't quite sound as discordant as it might with something less subtle. And uh, because of that, it's actually very difficult to tell what key it's in. So oh, yeah. When, when I was doing that part, I had to kind of experiment quite a bit and I wanted it to be melodic, but I also wanted it to be true to where, it, how it actually was in the game. So I actually had a lot of fun with that. <laughs> yeah, it, it, in a way, it gives you a lot of room to experiment while following a very unclear blueprint along the way. Yeah, exactly. After the Twilight theme, I went on to the Sages Are Morning. Sages Are Morning, I always love that theme. It's so solemn and mysterious, and, mm-hmm. and I, I could continue with the choir that I'd been using in, in the Twilight theme, and, and they felt connected. And from there, I went to the inside the Hyrule Castle right when you're in the foyer. That worked because it was still slow and there wasn't too much going on. 
I had to sort of taper off the stages in the morning to make it less complex so that I could suddenly go to this solo track. It wasn't actually solo, though. I used a, f- a solo flute and a solo clarinet together to make that effect almost like an echo. Mm, and then That's interesting. And you can... It, yeah, it has that sort of... Almost a... I almost want to say lonely quality to it, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very much so. And then you mix that with a little bit of the evil Ganon making his appearance. Yeah. Well, that wasn't my idea. I can't take credit for it because if you recall, as you pass through the castle and you get closer to Ganon, his theme starts mixing with the Hyrule Castle theme. And that was probably the coolest part of the whole game. Those series of platforms and the ghosts are pointing you in the direction you need to jump and the music's getting more intense as you ascend the castle and it feels like all these fallen warriors probably died trying to defend the castle or are yeah. aiding you there there was a sense of dread building in that mm-hmm. portion of the game a sense of dread and determination at the same time that was pretty unforgettable yeah i, I would have to agree with that but uh it was also very very exciting mm-hmm definitely but in the back of your mind, you always knew Ganon was behind this, right? It's like Well, once I heard that theme, it was very clear. Yeah, suddenly it all <laughs> starts falling into place. I decided to put the build music at night after Ganon to wind down a little bit before I did the ending tracks. Mm-hmm. Partly because there's nowhere else to put it, but partly because it was, well, it's always darkest just before the dawn. It's kind of a theme I'm going for. Right, yeah. So, uh, that's appropriate for Twilight Princess as well. So this is sort of ghostly, haunting field music, but I mixed bits of Midness theme into it because the, the Hyrule Field at Night track actually is a variant of her theme, although it's, it's very subtly disguised. The Field at Night theme is actually one of my most, strangely, one of my most memorable moments from the game. Um, because there was something about the quiet, back-of-your-mind quality of the music that plays when the sun goes down, um, and then the blue tint to the world, and how everything seems so quiet, that made it feel like such more such a real adventure somehow. It felt like time would pass and we'd have exciting moments and quiet moments and I I really like that you put it here um, in the arrangement because it felt like after all of that excitement and we were coming to the end there was a moment to rest because we'd had to do the rest on the morning and uh, I think it really worked Oh good, that is pretty much what I wanted to do so I'm really pleased Uh, I wanted to add to the the mystery too, that there's so much mystery in that world even after you defeat Ganon there's a lot left that's unsaid, and a lot of that has to do with the lore, and just all the different spirits in the land that we mentioned. And then from there, it was very easy to branch into the various Midna themes that you mentioned. One of the finest, most unsettling, and yet strikingly beautiful themes from any Zelda game. Yeah, I definitely agree. Not your typical princess theme from the series. No, certainly not. Yeah, very, very much a departure, but it works. Um, and then, of course, I moved on to this Desperate Hour because I knew that several people would yell at me if it wasn't in there, but <laughs> also because it's a very beautiful theme. And yes. that was one of the ones that definitely wasn't placed in its chronological uh, position, but I thought it would make a nice sort of showpiece. 
yeah, that I could that sort of elaborate on. Midna sort of has her own section, if you will. It's, it's trying to finally delve into her character, because her character really is at the heart of the game. Exactly, and I sort of saved it till the end. But that's because most of her story and resolution gets explained and explored at the end. And mm-hmm. when, when her body is released and Zelda gets her soul back and everything, Zelda says, for a while our hearts were one. And I think playing Midna's Desperate Hour after that is just almost like exploring all the emotions that were inside mm-hmm. of Midna all along, just sh- showing what she's been through in the meantime. I, I moved to the, the point where she transforms, which is a right. very, very warm feeling. It, it sort of dr- it, it keeps the drama of, of Midna's Desperate Hour, but gets warmer and warmer and more, more of a climax. And that was the perfect transition. Not perfect, but, you know, the best one I yeah. could think of to go to the calm theme, which I thought would be the best happily ever after theme with the exception of Ilya, which came after. So Ilya was right. the climax of the Happily Ever After. Right at the point where Ilya's theme gets its most intense, uh, in the actual video on my YouTube channel, I, I had a bunch of fan art, but I found them, and I showed uh-huh. just that that clash hits. The theme gets very explosively happy. Oh, nice. It shows Link on his horse riding through Tyrol Castle Town with confetti being dumped on him, and everyone's <laughs> following him, and everything is all resolved. That's what I wanted to convey with the song. The piece of art actually inspired me. It has that celebratory feeling to it where it's somehow, despite all the odds, everything's going to be okay. And it it builds up right into that, you know, resounding overworld theme, which, you know, is the, the triumphant song that, that has been carrying you through the entire adventure from the beginning. Yeah, exactly. And and that really, in a way, the overworld theme is Link's theme. Yeah. We've been, we've been focusing on everyone else. And now we're seeing... Look who's been behind it all this whole time. Look look who never really talks. Who is so humble and so easygoing about all these things. And he's been through the worst of it out of everybody. It's the, the theme that you're going to carry with you since you're walking in his shoes. And it's 
it feels appropriate to build all the way up through this, you know, you're at, you know, 27 odd minutes at this point. And yeah. finally that comes back and you're like, oh, I didn't realize that this was missing so, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. gapingly until now. <laughs> yeah. I, I tried so hard with that one. I just poured my soul into it. I, I thought this has to be so satisfying. It has to, I wanted yeah. every single note to just pound into the person's heart, you know, especially that, do, 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 do. Mm-hmm. that, that bit where it has that little cyclical legato. Yeah. Uh, it's cause that's, that's sort of like the, the flowery emotional insert amid all the clashing thunder so to speak and mm, that, that's, that's the part that tugs on it. your heartstrings so i had this harp go at the same time and i had the whole orchestra join in it worked really well i think you did a great job with that part and um the part i always listen for is that the with the chorus and the the swelling of the orchestra it's oh man that's the part that like just digs right at my heart You know that doom 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 that part that the brass somehow was underwhelming compared with the overworld and I thought no that's got to be the part where the orchestra is about to finish and and all the fans right. are eager and, but uh yeah it doesn't get much more victorious than that actually out of everything in the entire suite that's the thing I kind of have the most regrets about I, I hope I made up for it with that choir at the end doing the the intro theme in the wolf hell oh e- easily the choir makes up for everything <laughs> okay <laughs> When the wolf hell came in, I, I actually worked at it for about 10 minutes, getting that wolf hell in the exact right spot. It had to be at the pinnacle of the choir, not too soon, not too late, and just at the point to send a chill down your entire body when it hits. Was it the same howl from the game, or did you take some other source? A different one. I found a, a free wolf sound. I looked through about seven of them and chose the one I thought was the best, so... When I listened to this uh, arrangement for the first time, um, I was driving in the car. And oh, yeah. when I got in the car, um, it was, oh, you know, late afternoon, just entering evening, I suppose. I had many stops along the way. And by the time I got home, I had basically gone through all of Twilight, which was very appropriate. And right when I was driving into the driveway, the ending of the song was starting to rise up. And as the wolf howl, um, you know, sort of shook the vehicle I was driving in, um, the full moon came out from behind a tree. Oh man, you're gonna give me chills. That's awesome. It was one of the best moments <laughs> of, of wondrous uh, coincidence that I've had. I, I love that. So uh, I want to tell you a brief story. This is Zelda related. When I was working yeah. on my Ocarina of Time medley, right as I was working on the Song of Storms movement, a huge thunder and rainstorm broke out. That's great. And we'd had a drought for about a month. And I was just so pleased. And it, it felt like it <laughs> yeah. injected life into the actual song. 
Well, you, you don't don't sell that melody short. It has power. We've seen that time and time again. Um, now that we've sort of gone through the whole journey of Twilight Princess, which, by the way, I still have my um, Twilight Princess HD with uh, Wolf Link and uh, Midna Amiibo in the box waiting to be opened. Oh, nice. I don't know why I have not gotten around to it yet. I can't wait, but... So worth it. That and oh, the Wind Waker HD remake, they're, they're both incredible. I've played that just, oh, made me so happy to play it on my much larger television than I originally played the game with. It was beautiful. <laughs> yeah. But um, what do you think uh, about the new Zelda game that's been announced? Um, oh, Breath of the Wild. Breath of the Wild. Let's finish with that. Look into the future. It looks fantastic. Yeah, it looks pretty extraordinary. I, um, I, I honestly don't know what to think about it. There are a lot of things that I'm very excited about, and a lot of things that I'm very uncertain about. And yeah, in a way that makes me even more excited for it because I don't quite know what to expect. And it's like if you take the original Legend of Zelda and mix it with Skyrim and mm-hmm. add something else in there. Yeah, no, that, that I've, I've heard that comparison before, and it seems pretty apt. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of a lot of open world games that you often see these days, which um, in a way makes me uh, a little bit disappointed because Zelda always stood out, you know, kind of as it's very uniquely itself. But I have a feeling that Nintendo is going to give it a a spin that I won't be predicting until I actually play it. And that makes me excited. Well, one thing I can say, like take Skyward Sword, for example. Um, I don't know about this new one, but they never waste any space ever Mm -hmm. in Zelda games. Every single thing has a purpose. Mm -hmm. Every single item is significant in its own way, anyway. Everything feels very balanced. Every world flows nicely. I don't imagine this will be an exception, although I don't know for certain, because just based on the sheer size of it. Yeah. Well, knowing Nintendo, they'll find something very special and interesting and unexpected to do with it. And you're right, Zelda games are very purposeful. Um, and, uh, especially Aonuma's direction. He seems to be the director on this game and, you know, he was apparently the director of, uh, um, A Link Between Worlds and that seems like a very purposeful game. So I have high hopes. Yeah. That, I think that pretty much wraps up the interview so far. Um, Keith, thanks a lot for joining me for a little while. Yeah, it was great to be on the show again. Absolutely. And, um, so where can people find more about your music or follow you on the internet if they would so desire? Follow me on YouTube. Um, I do have a SoundCloud, and people always want to check it out, but it has not very much on it. Twitter's an easy way to follow me, because mm-hmm. I post everything on there. And I also have a Facebook fan page, which is linked to on my YouTube. We have plenty of choices, folks. And of course, we'll link all that stuff in the show notes. So check that out, uh, all you fine listeners, and we will see you next time and uh, take you back to the show. This week, our solo track spotlights Super Audio Kart, a sample library of classic game consoles ranging from the Commodore 64 to the Game Boy to the SNES. This magical box of video game sounds was created by Impact Soundworks, an audio software company that includes familiar OCR faces like Andrew Aversa and Nabil Ansari. My name is Nabil Ansari. Uh, I am known to be the little brother of Sharik Ansari, otherwise known as Dark Sword. Uh, I go by the handle Neblix on OCR, and uh, that's what I remix everything under. On Super Audio Kart, I was the lead engineer. Uh, I've been working at Impact Soundworks for a year and a half uh, roughly. So I do uh, a lot of our contact scripting, 
mostly just lots of uh, engineering and you know writing the scripts and the user interfaces and all that. Well, I'm not good at elevator pitches actually, so I pulled up the website for Stupid Car right here. I'm just gonna read off a little bit. Um, so it's the timeless sounds of seven classic video games. Okay, I'm not gonna read this whole thing. So what it is is it's a sample library. Here's where I stopped Nabil for a second. Some of you might eat sample libraries for every meal of the day, but others might be completely in the dark. Nabil clears that up for us. For those who don't know what a sample library is, it's basically a giant collection of recordings. So take like a guitar for example, you want to sample a guitar. So you take a recording of every single note on the guitar, separate recording WAV files, uh, and then you would, nowadays, you would record like different uh, articulations, so you would do different volumes, so they'd pluck it hard, they'd pluck it soft, they'd sort of bend into it sometimes, so you have to uh, gather all of these recordings, so you can end up with thousands and thousands of little WAV files. Uh, and then what you do is you put it in a sample library engine. The one that's like most popular nowadays is called Contact, Contact with 2Ks. And basically you map it so that when you have a MIDI keyboard or you go in your piano roll like in Fruity Loops, uh, you can write the notes and when you play it back, it sends that uh, note data and the velocities and all that stuff, it sends it to Contact. Uh, and Contact will decide what wave files to play back. You know, if you play a C in Fruity Loops or if you play like a melody in Fruity Loops, it'll take that data and then it'll send it to Contact and then it'll play wave files corresponding to those notes on the guitar, right? So basically, it's a virtual instrument, right? It's a virtual performer. Uh, you basically write the sheet music in your DAW, or you you know you play it on your MIDI keyboard, uh, and the sounds will come out of contact uh, corresponding. And so that's a sample library. So we decided to apply that methodology to not real instruments, but to classic video game consoles. So we could have all those sounds from classic video games that we've always wanted and collect it all into one place in one unified system that's easy to use, we can write tutorials on it, uh, and just say this is the definitive collection. And there's a whole lot to be said about Super Audio Kart. More than we can fit into this little segment, believe me. But Nabil offers the short version of how it works and what it can do. From all the systems, we collected these sounds uh, straight from the sound chips for most of them. You can apply all these modulation parameters. There's a whole engine for composing in there also. So you can write little melodies and sequences. You can arpeggiate chords uh, and do all this crazy stuff. You can write drum beats and you can do this all inside of Super Audio Kart. You don't have to do it in your digital audio workstation like Free Loops or Pro Tools or whatever you're using. And it's licensed by uh, Native Instruments, so you don't have to buy Contact to use it. You can just buy Super Audio Cart and then you're done. You're basically uh, using a synthesizer that's creating all of its oscillators from old video games, which is amazing. It's like the most OCR thing you can do. Now, we at the Overclocked Podcast haven't used Super Audio Cart personally, but it is next up on my list of audio software to buy. If you want to learn more about everything you just heard, you've got a website, tutorials, and audio demos to get you started. Maybe I'll break all that down. So you can go to the Super Audio Cart page on impactsoundworks.com. You can also go, just go to superaudiocart.com. Uh, we have a small website landing page for it uh, at superaudiocart.com. So for those of you listening, just go to superaudiocart.com and you, it'll take you from there. Uh, so it'll give you the little elevator pitch. Uh, there's a little button you can use to buy it. Um, but then below, when you scroll down, you'll see all these videos. And these videos are amazing. Uh, so Andrew recorded... Uh, three 20-minute tutorials. So it's an hour of tutorials. You can learn basically everything about Super Audio Kart just by watching those tutorials. Uh, and if that's not enough and you want to get convinced by your ears, you just listen to all of the demos. 
um, because every demo song on the Super Audio Kart page for the Impact Soundworks website is made with just Super Audio Kart and nothing else. There, there are no other sounds, there's no other effects. It's really cool. So if you guys, uh, if you guys aren't convinced by all the, you know, the heavy videos and stuff, uh, just listen to the sound and see if you like the sound. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for yet another episode of the Overclock Podcast. Mm-hmm. We appreciate you being here with us, and we'll be back next week. Uh, but until then, uh, we should probably tell you about Overclocked Remix and where to learn all about it, which is www.ocremix.org. You can also go to YouTube for their YouTube channel, because that's where those things are. That's how it works. <laughs> but just uh, search Overclocked Remix on YouTube, and you can find all of the remixes posted there, as well as interviews and segments from our show. Yes. Um, and Twitter is also a good place. Uh, you can uh, find us there specifically at OCR Podcast. Or you can email us at podcast at ocremix.org. And if you don't want to do any of those things, we won't hold it against you. Uh, lastly, we'd like to thank um, Nabil for helping us out with the uh, excellent segment. Um, also for Rebecca Tripp for the second part of her interview. And of course, for Sinshadas for writing all of the amazing, and this week it was particularly amazing, um, uh, Remix Rewind uh, things. Absolutely. And speaking of wonderful guest contributions, let's go on to the playlist. Oh man, this one is required listening. <laughs> The Playlist is a weekly collection of listener-submitted recommendations so we can all discover music together. This week's theme is... Choral Music. Promised Pain, from Xenosaga Episode 3 and submitted by Sin. World's Enemy from Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core and submitted by Square Evil. Yes, 
A Fleeting Dream from Final Fantasy X and submitted by Phoenix Down. Not from Phoenix Down and submitted by Final Fantasy X. Gaping Dragon from Dark Souls and submitted by Major Third.
The Dark Colossus Destroys All, from Near and submitted by Zachary. The Beginning and the End, from Xenogears, and submitted by the M-Disc Playlist Podcast.
staff credits from Metroid Prime 3 and submitted by Mike. The main title from World of Warcraft Wrath of the Lich King and submitted by me.
Peace of Akatosh from The Elder Scrolls IV, Oblivion, and submitted by me. You've been listening to the Overclock Podcast. Next week's playlist is sci-fi music, space, future, you get the picture. To submit your suggestions, or just say, Andros's enemy is my enemy. Hit us up on Twitter at OCR Podcast. Email us at podcast at ocremix.org, or visit us on the forums at ocremix.org. This week's Lyrical Wisdom... Say...